Welcome to another episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Join us as we break down the truth behind all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and more to help you form your own holistic definition of what is truly healthy for your body with a healthy dose of sarcasm, dad jokes, and real life experiences. If you're already a Be Well Cartel fan, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with your community. Thanks so much for being here, and we really hope you enjoy our newest episode of the Be Well Cartel. Friday, and we are recording another episode, you guys. This is so exciting. And this is actually episode 20. So that just seems absurd to think that we have done 20 episodes, very consistent every week. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I was thinking about this last night. I was like, I was like, this is such like 20 episodes, and each episode is like jam-packed with just like so much information and so much good stuff. And it's and so many dad jokes. So many dad, speaking of dads, Holly, <laughs> oh my that was God, a good yeah. segue. <laughs> that was a very good segue. <laughs> oh yeah, I wanted to tell you guys about my dad's new job and I haven't told Olivia or Julian about this in advance, but um, I'll give you some context. So first of all, my dad is like just retiring from um working for himself so he was a business consultant for many years and he's a he's a behavioral science guy um and my mom retired last year and she's been like come on Andreas like it's time for you to retire and he's like okay um so he's retiring and my mom was like worried about my dad not having any hobbies obviously my mom has the dog um and and designing things and designing yeah exactly and she's gonna paint and like she, she has all this stuff going on and so before we had the dog, my, my family was a very cat family. Like growing up, we always had cats. Like Kevin and I have cats in San Francisco. Um, and we had this really old cat who lived like 21 years old. Um, wow. And he was like, my dad, oh, he was so old. And he was like my dad's pride and joy. And they spent all their time, they were like best friends. Um, and then after that cat died, my mom got her dog. Anyway, so my dad has been kind of missing cats because although he does like Juno much more than he expected, which I mean, look at her pretty hard not to love her but he was like ah, oh, I miss cats like I miss you know things that purr but he doesn't want to get a kitten because Juno's still really young and like it would just be traumatic I think for a kitten to try and hang out with Juno so anyway um my dad's new job that he is starting I think like next week is uh as a cat butler what what what, <laughs> what, is what that is a cat butler <laughs> A cat butler is someone that you can hire when you go away or if you're at work a lot to go around to your house and like like pet your cat and feed them and Shut take the photos and send it to you because like because <laughs> like cats hate to leave their like zone right like dogs I mean even dogs probably prefer to stay at home but dogs like to be around other dogs and other people so like putting them in a kennel or like you know like a dog holiday home if you want to be nice is a little easier but for a cat if you do that they're like traumatized forever so people prefer to leave their cats at home and so they need like really trustworthy people so you can like criminal background check and stuff obviously because you're going into their houses whilst they're not there and my dad's so trustworthy look at him he's like this nice little old man who loves cats like who better to go to your house and like pet your cat i was like this is the best so can i just say that imagine for you that that is the most British name for anything I have ever heard in my entire life. Totally. Yeah, like oh the gosh. cat butler, like in the United States, it would be like the, 
I don't know, like, <laughs> like cat babysitter or like something. And, boring well, in the like US, that. I think they just call it like spare leash, spare leash, and it's like dogs and cats, and you can go do that stuff. Um, but I just love like the fact it's called Cat Butler just made it and actually so much better. I'm, I'm picturing your dad's like new business card, like Mr. Priestland Cat Butler, you know, and, and, and like, like he shows up like wearing like a, a bow little cartoon tie. with like a yes, 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 totally. Oh, oh that's amazing. amazing. Congratulate him for us, please. Yeah. Like, oh, also, I shall. Yeah. Can we get your dad on the podcast if he's a, a behavioral scientist? Yeah, like he would actually be him. a great guy to have on the podcast. Yeah, he, he would he'd probably be down to do it. I would love to talk to a behavioral scientist. I think it's it's so interesting because over the last year or two, that's kind of where I've been focusing a lot of like my personal investigation is on like behavioral science. Because I think the interesting thing is like basic nutrition is like fairly straightforward. Like, yes, there's always information, like new information that comes out, like things do tend to change, but like behavioral science is really interesting because it helps us understand so much like why people do the things that we do because we know that you can have the knowledge all the knowledge in the world to be like eat this these foods but like why do people not do them and that's like where behavioral science comes in so I would I personally love to talk to him maybe I'll just enroll your dad does he want to be my personal mentor yeah I'm sure he'd love Perfect. that <laughs> he would probably really love that that's it's so it's so true that I've actually just finished up a course on acceptance and commitment therapy um oh, yeah. a six-week course and like a lot of that stuff I had been doing anyway and a lot of like other coaches that I had worked with had taught had taught me a lot of this stuff anyway so it, I was already practicing a lot of this stuff but um the, the whole way that I approach all of this stuff is that and I think I talk about this quite a lot and it's what we talk about and, and teach in the female health and performance course as well that I um, am a coach for is that if we think about a pyramid at the bottom is like self-efficacy, your mindset, like how you think about yourself in the world and your belief system, like all of this stuff. Then above that is like stress management and sleep and like movement and then nutrition and then training. And it always seems crazy that like, especially for me, where a lot of my focus is on uh, training and fitness, that that is a very cherry, like the cherry on the top. And so many people expect that it's like a nutrition and training, but it's like, yo, like none of this is going to work. I mean, it'll work, but it's not going to be what laugh. it could be. It's, it's not going to be as effective or you're not going to thrive within nutrition and training unless we're first looking at how you're thinking about all of this stuff. And, and I think that um, that's a lot for people to kind of consider when it's like that. But I also think that as coaches and trainers, it takes so much pressure off us and other coaches and trainers, because it's like, it, there, there isn't, there is no longer just that expectation that it's like a, a nutritional training protocol because, and it puts more responsibility on the client, if you know what I mean, or us as individuals. And I think that when we as coaches are starting to have these conversations with clients and like asking the right questions of them, then they take more personal responsibility. They have more autonomy and it's less about us having to fix things. You know what I mean? 100%. But I think that an issue that comes up a lot, and I think like, and you guys let me know what you think, is that 
people just want someone to tell them what to do with nutrition and fitness because they have so many other things on their plate that they don't, they're already taking personal responsibility for so many things in their life that like taking responsibility for this other thing that seems sort of like such like a big beast to take on is like, well, I don't want to take personal responsibility for that. I just want you to tell me what to do and then I can just do it and then my life will be fine. And this is where I think that it, that's why it's, it can be really hard for us sometimes, especially because of what the three of us do specifically, because there are a lot of coaches out there that'll be like, cool, you sign up with me, you fill out a, a questionnaire. And this is actually something that I was so freaking triggered by that we actually talked about uh, before we we started the podcast. And I will, I'll fill you guys in. I'm not going to leave you guys hanging like that. But that's where so many people just want to like offload that responsibility onto another coach or someone that can just give them a plan. That's like, cool, you fill out a questionnaire and then you get your, your plan and you just follow the plan and it's fine. But it's like, that is only, it's like putting a bandaid. It's like, like putting a bandaid on a bullet wound. I think I've heard you say that before, Olivia. And I've used this a lot before when I've talked about people trying to heal their relationship with food. Um, but just to kind of fill you guys in on what triggered the hell out of me, there is a very well-known company that does, that does weight loss. Like, uh, they do nutrition for athletes. And one of the things that they make a lot of their money on is, uh, either templates. And now there's an application and there's a client group. So all three of us have actually gone, have actually had experience with this company in the past. And we are all in this like client group on Facebook that is sort of moderated by professionals, sort of like lets people go off and do their thing. And I was super triggered because it showed up on my Facebook feed that, you know, people talking about being on extremely low calories coupled with feeling like total crap like not having energy in their workouts. And these are people that are like exercising five, six days a week. You know, they're considering active recovery days as going on like, you know, eight mile runs. They're saying they're getting like 13 or 14,000 steps a day. And they're eating like probably half as many calories as they would need to actually be thriving. And then in the group talk, you know, people would comment and be like, you know, you just need to have the right mindset. Like you just need to be more disciplined. Like I was like, also like, just trust, just trust the, yeah, just trust the process. Yeah. And, and like, you know, just commit. And it's like, oh my God, like this is uh, so triggering. And this is exactly why, and Holly, I know you wanted to add something in here as well, but this is exactly why you guys, we are going to do kind of a two part series, sort of one on the cost of getting lean. So understanding what it actually takes to get this like ripped shredded toned body that everybody talks about and everybody wants like what does that actually take and then we want to talk about also something that the three of us have dealt with is kind of like the weight gaining side like what happens if for your health or for your well-being or for your your overall self if gaining weight is actually the right thing and kind of what that looks like so yeah wow I just said a lot sorry guys no, no, I think that's really important. And I'm really excited to be able to present that to our listeners and to the Be Well Cartel with our personal experiences alongside, because I think it can be very different to just like, there's an amazing article from Precision Nutrition that I'm sure we'll talk about next week called The Cost of Getting Lean. And the article is incredible, but I think it can really help to hear like real life examples from people who have actually done it alongside that information. Um, and then I think that, I think that the weight gain side of things is just not discussed enough, like the necessities of it. But I think there's a lot of stuff on Instagram of people being like, I gained weight and now I'm so much happier. 
But what about like that interim process that we've all been mm-hmm. through where it's not rainbows and sunshine every it's day. It's not just you a know? switch that gets flipped. No, there and there are times where all of us and, you know, especially Olivia and I, is we've we've both done like a, a fairly large chunk of weight gain. There were days where we were texting each other like, should we like throw out our clothes at the same time so that we do this? And like, it was, yeah, there was some like there was some tough stuff in that interim bit. So it'll be exciting to talk about it. And even just this week, um, Holly messaged me and she's like, are you like, how are you dealing with having boobs? And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm so glad that you said this because I have never had boobs and I'm struggling. Like even doing like a prone row, like on a, a bench assisted prone row and like my boobs are squished and I'm just like, wow, this is, you know, um, this is a lot to actually deal with. Like there's a lot of like, um, physical things like not just actually weight gain but the dealing with the different things that actually come with that and like navigating that um and even like the clothes that we're wearing and and stuff like that so there will be um yeah oh man there's so much to dig into um with this I'm actually really excited to do these yeah and I think that's it's like I mentioned this on on our one on goal weights where you know things like like thighs rubbing together um you know arms maybe not fitting into certain things like all this stuff just like feels so weird when you've gotten to used to feeling your body in a certain way but then there's one of the things that I do want to celebrate I had a freaking awesome win that I really wanted to to tell you guys about and then um we're gonna head into the part two of our awesome sleep discussion because if you have not listened to the podcast from last week, definitely go back and listen to that one. We go into sleep. It's an amazing conversation about the benefits of sleep, how the different sleep cycles work. But we wanted to kind of continue that conversation because we did a really long podcast last week and we did not like, no, we scratched the surface, but we definitely had a lot left to talk about. So we're going to talk about that today. But I did really quickly want to share a win with you guys is I realized yesterday as I was working out that I have pretty consistently not I don't want to say eliminated but greatly reduced body checking and body checking for me was a huge huge component of of my life and this would be like waking up every morning and looking at my abs in the mirror or like spending you know a couple seconds just looking at my arms and it was never like looking at it and be like oh you're disgusting or anything like that it was just it was a very like conscious part of my life was checking what it's my like a reassurance yeah, it's it's a reassurance, like a reassurance, which is exactly can be just as damaging. Exactly. And I realized I was like, I really barely ever do that anymore. Yeah, it used to like be very much in passing. Yeah. It was totally the same for me, especially when I when I when I had the physique at which most people would say was like quote unquote the best when I had the six pack. I would check that shit all the time. And the 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 weird thing is that it's a behavior that's almost celebrated. When you yeah. have a lean body, like if someone were to catch you checking out your abs in a mirror when you have a six pack, people are like, oh yeah, like it's it's normal. But if someone were to catch you checking out your stomach in the mirror and like poking at it when you don't have a six pack, it would be like, like oh no, like why are you doing that? And so I think there's the the way different behaviors are celebrated in different shapes of bodies is pretty complicated and and nuanced and and weird. But yeah, body checking reducing that for me was was just huge when I stopped looking at my body all the time in the mirror it really let me let go of like Mm -hmm. a certain physique and focus on how I actually felt in my body and that has just been so freeing and now if I do look at myself in the mirror it's through the lens of like how do I feel first and I'm looking at myself in the mirror to be like do my clothes match 
Oh, it's, I just, I did, I for, honestly, when I moved into my new apartment, I was like, I don't really need a mirror. I have my bathroom mirror. I was like, what do I need a mirror for? Like, I know what my clothes look like. I'm going to save a lot of what my thoughts here are for our conversation on this because there is a lot. But I know that definitely for me, I am now in a place where I'm very much, um, and I actually, I think I wrote about this um, somewhere, but you you just get used to your body. Like you get it used to, you get used to it looking different. And Holly, I'm pretty sure that you probably feel the same way that it feels that you're kind of just used to it looking this way now. But um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things for us to go into, but we're going to go into sleep now. And I want to go right back to introduce us into sleep, right back to what Jillian said before about behavior therapy or behaviors when it comes to like lifestyle and stuff like that. Because I think that sleep is one of these things where if we think about like nutrition and training and stuff like that, like we can slap a plan on, right? And it's like, okay, cool. Like someone's telling me what to do here. But sleep is one of these things where someone can say to you, get seven to nine hours or, you know, whatever. But it's, it's so much harder for you to put in that effort to make it happen rather than like following a plan with um, kind of like training or nutrition or something. Because I think that there's so many more like tangible kind of things with that where it's like that's leading me towards maybe a body shape or something like that and sleep is just kind of this I don't know it's just so hard to like convince people that it's important and to like take the steps to actually help yourself with it um to see the benefits of it and it takes time and I think that something that we can kind of I think we can kind of start out on this and then kind of go through it is that something that we said last week on the podcast is like sleep doesn't happen in isolation. Right. And so it's one of those things that, like you said, a lot of work needs to be done on it. And I think that because it's not something that traditionally people, it's not like as you're growing up, you like learn proper sleep hygiene. It's not like someone teaches you how to brush your teeth and then they teach you how to do your bedtime routine. And so a lot of people get used to, like they've gone in this, this, common pattern of, okay, well I get six hours of sleep and that comes prop a lot from like behavioral stuff of like, Hey, well, you know, my family were always early risers. And so I've been an early riser my whole life, but now I'm staying up late because of X, Y, or Z and I get six hours of sleep and I feel fine. And so I think that we hear this a lot where it's like, Oh, well, you know, like I feel totally fine on like six hours of sleep. And Holly, I want to hear your take on this as the sleep queen is like, how likely is it that six hours of sleep is, is enough? Because there are some people that, it, you know, there's outliers to everything. I made a, a weird face earlier as well. Cause you were like, no one teaches us how to do a sleep routine. And I was like, actually we do grow up having, well, most yeah, of us that's true. grow up having totally. a great sleep routine and we get taught yeah. how to brush our teeth and then but have it's a not bedtime routine and go to bed. It's no, not identified it, as that. Well, but even if it is, the thing is that it's kind of like we do it because someone told us to. We're not educated on like the why, right? So it's just like you do it because I said so. And you just don't think about the fact about how helpful it is that you have a routine. And then when you become a, an adult, like no one's telling you to do it. So you're just like, wow, well, yeah. I can do whatever I want. But yes. Yeah, so but you go the, to university and you don't have mum there saying, okay, that, time that, to go to bed. And you're like, that's okay, exactly, I'm going to stay up until two o'clock yeah, in the morning. <laughs> that's exactly where my sleep got really shit because I was Me just too. partying all the time. Um, but yes, yeah, so on the... On the six hours of sleep, it's like five, six hours of sleep, right? There's a lot of people, especially a lot of sort of um, highly driven people will come to me saying this, which is, yeah, like, I, oh, I sleep five, six hours a night, but like, I feel, I feel fine. And, and then they go, and, and, you know, I've heard that there are people who, who function great on this. I'm one of those people. 
the reality is that the people that actually function well in that amount of sleep have like a genetic difference like there's a difference in one of the in one of their genes that actually makes it for them better like if they sleep longer than that they'll they'll phys- like their physiology will be worse than if they slept less um it's like less than one percent of the population so the the chance of it being you is pretty low it's possible I won't say it's impossible but it's pretty low and if you haven't tried first sleeping consistently more than that you know if if it's possible which we'll get to later if it's not possible for you what to do but if you haven't tried sleeping in that seven to nine hour range for like a consistent amount of time like a month plus you don't know yet like if that's your normal if sleeping five six hours a night is your normal you feel fine because that's all you know it doesn't mean you actually feel your best you know if you want to know the benefits of getting enough sleep you can go back to our last podcast but all of those would be like increased for you many fold if if you were to try sleeping enough and actually seeing how that went so it's not super likely um that you are a person who functions well on less than seven hours of sleep um and i think from here we can go into the idea of like how do we know if we're actually getting enough sleep like how do we know if we're getting quality sleep like how can people tell let's say they are someone who right now is getting six hours of sleep a night how can they tell if um, they're getting enough, like if they were to try getting seven hours or eight hours of sleep, like how, how might they feel different? What can people check? So there's kind of two parts to this because I think I mean, we touched on this in, in the last episode. So I don't want to go too much into it is like the people that use trackers and the people that don't use trackers, because I think that often when we do use a sleep tracker, we sort of like that can create this like placebo effect. When we see certain numbers on the sleep tracker, it's like, oh, I got a good night's sleep. And so it's like that placebo effect of like, all right, cool. I'm going to be more energized. Whereas like, I remember, and, and this is like personal experience when I had my Fitbit and it would track my sleep. And I knew that, you know, some days I would wake up because I would be very sensitive to this. Sometimes I would wake up and be like, oh, like, I actually feel okay, but my Fitbit would say that like, I didn't get enough sleep. And so I'd be like, do I really feel okay? Like, like, should I, should I be more tired? I I don't know. And so this is where it's like, and we touched on this last time is that the tracker is there to be like a a form of guidance. It's not necessarily like the be all end all. Yeah, exactly. And so I think a really good way to know, like if you're getting good sleep is kind of like, how easy is it for you to get out of bed? And how do you feel kind of in that beginning part of your day? And so we talked last time about things like opening your window, letting a natural light, um, maybe potentially doing a little bit of movement in the morning. One thing that, um, that I think, is, is helpful to remember is that if you're used to like snoozing a bunch, like it's probably going to be harder to get out of bed. Cause when you snooze, you're not actually getting more sleep. You're just like prolonging the wake up process. And so one of the, like, if you're someone that's like, well, I'm usually pretty groggy in the mornings, a great change you can make to then more accurately gauge this, like how easy is it to get out of bed is stop using the snooze. And, and an easy way to do that is like, if you're like, well, if I'm in bed, I can't not use snooze, plug your phone in or your alarm, like across the room. So you actually have to get out of bed in order to turn off your alarm. And so you can actually set your alarm for the time you need to get out of bed rather than like giving yourself all the snooze time that is not helping you get out of bed. There's some other ones that Holly, um, I'll let you go into those. Yeah. The next one I wanted to bring up was how long it takes you to fall asleep. And I wanted to bring this up because some, like I often get people who go, oh, but when I lie down to go to sleep, like my head hits the pillow and I'm out. 
as though that's good. Whereas actually what we should see is that it takes you a little while to fall asleep. And that might be anywhere from like five to 20 minutes. Like that's pretty normal. If it's taking you longer than 20 minutes, okay, we might also have some issues with that wind down. So last last week, Jillian used this great analogy of like falling asleep being like landing a plane and how you have to slowly um, dive into it rather than just falling straight into it. So that's why we should have this little buffer. And if you're lying down and you don't even remember trying to fall asleep and you're passing out straight away, it's actually a pretty good sign that you are under rested because your body is so desperate for sleep that it's like, close my eyes and I'm out. So you also should see a little bit of time between when your head hits the pillow, when you fall asleep. That's a really good point. I had never actually thought about it in that context. Um, and, and like, like explained it that way, but it makes so much sense. And it's like one of those things that we kind of know. Um, so yeah, I like that. And I think there's a, there's a difference, right? I mean, I see this a lot where people are either falling asleep pretty quickly, but then they're waking up in the night and they're struggling to get back to sleep. So I think that that's something that we need to, to talk about. Um, or they're just having trouble getting to sleep at night. And, so with people that are falling asleep quite quickly, but then waking up in the middle of the night, um, often that's to do with um, how you're managing your stress during the day, like cortisol response um, and stuff like that as well. And so uh, that can be quite, a, and also I think that that does, you know, with women who are going through different phases in life, that's something that comes up um, a lot as well. We'll go into the phases of life and, and how your cycle affects sleep a bit later, but in terms of other things that people can look for um, to check the quality of their sleep, like how's their sleep been? Um, obviously last week we also talked about your physical energy. So like, how are your training sessions feeling? How are you recovering from training sessions? Like, are you able to put your full power output into it? Also just like, how's your recovery going? Are you feeling sore for longer than you should from the kind of volume you're doing? Possibly and what, what you've done before. I think it's important to explain like longer than you should, because I think that some people, you know, they, they don't necessarily have this context of like, how long should DOMS actually last? Because that is a really good indicator of like, you're not getting enough recovery. And so my understanding, is, and, and Olivia, you might want to correct this for me. My understanding is that if it's longer than 48 hours, then that's probably too long. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of context dependent. So, I mean, if you're starting a new training block, if you've been out of training for a little while um, and stuff like that, but if pain is, and also it's like, is it, is it DOMS or is it like, a, you know, chronic pain or is there something else going on? But if it is like muscle soreness, then generally, yeah. I mean, after a couple of days, we shouldn't be feeling that anymore. And it should, that pain um, should dissipate pretty quickly over a couple of days, but um, it is pretty context dependent with why you're getting that soreness, but yeah, totally. And then the, you know, the next thing people could look at is their mental energy across the day. Um, and we've talked before about the sort of mid afternoon energy crash, like that could be a factor in here. It could also be related to nutrition and stress management and other things we've mentioned, but it's something to look out for um, and your focus during the day. So if you're trying to work and you keep finding yourself sort of drifting off or getting distracted, that is also a, a pretty good sign that some more sleep might be beneficial. So one, of, I did read something recently that was kind of, cause people have this idea of like that energetic people pop out of bed and all of a sudden they're like, ah, like 
I can do everything perfectly. And it's like there, it is normal to have sort of like a 30 minute bubble in which you are still waking up. And so I think that that's where people get confused. Like I personally, I need 30 minutes of like not really talking to anybody before I wake up, but I sleep really well. I recover really well and, and I'm energetic throughout the day. And so I think that that's where people can get confused. And that goes like kind of ties back into the, if you're snoozing a bunch in the morning, it may actually take you a little bit longer to like get going in, in the morning, but it is normal to have like a little bit of time right after you wake up where you're not a hundred percent like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. And you're probably not going to be like nailing every single one of these factors a hundred percent, but it's like looking at for you where the balance is and that balance. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, something that I was just thinking about, because this is kind of for me and actually a lot of my clients, and this kind of maybe sort of goes back to like those people that are super special unicorns who don't need six hours of sleep, which is not true for me. And it's not true for my clients either, I don't think, but um, is <clears throat> to be highly functioning. You know, like I can get very, very little sleep and I can jump out of bed and just like go because I'm a very highly fun like that has to, high that functioning have to do with more adrenaline though, right yeah uh, it's totally all cortisol but so my my point with this is those people who right to be wary of like using that, that as a judgment 100% so if you're like but I'm totally fine like and it kind of goes back to what you were saying before the first piece that we we're talking about but like my energy is fine. Like I'm getting everything done. Um, I'm really focused. I might feel a little bit tired, but I'm still doing everything. Like I can work out and all of this stuff. So yeah, I think like just truly being honest with yourself with how you actually feel and where you might be potentially masking how you're actually feeling with things that are keeping you going. Even like being excited, you know, being an excitable kind of person um, can kind of keep you humming along as well. And especially for those kind of people, if you find when you eventually sit down to take a break that you suddenly feel either exhausted, overwhelmed, um, or like when you stop to eat food, you suddenly feel extremely hungry. Like that's a pretty good sign that's just been like a high cortisol and like that sympathetic nervous system kind of suppressing any of that stuff. So that can be a good sign. And then the last thing I want to touch on for ways you can tell like how your sleep is, is working for you or isn't working for you. It's just the emotional regulation piece. And some of this does come down to like emotional literacy, which is something that we've talked about quite a lot in other podcasts and identifying emotions and all that stuff. But we talked in the last podcast about REM sleep and how it's important for decoupling emotions from events. And so if you're not getting enough sleep and you're not getting enough REM as a result, um, something that you might see is you being more emotional during the day. And that could take the form of, um, reacting more, um, like more instantly to things, like not being able to process and just having very emotional reactions to things, which might be anger or sadness or it, or like very excited. Um, you know, it's going to be react rather than respond. Um, and yeah, I think that that is, is something that is just good to be aware of. If you find yourself snapping at people more or being harder on yourself, um, sometimes sleeping more can actually really help with that emotional regulation. And so one one of the things that I want to, that, that we want to touch on in this podcast, just because I know that we, we spend a lot of time talking about like, Hey, it's really great to be able to get seven to nine hours of sleep. And then there's a lot of people that 
don't necessarily, they aren't able to do that because of their work, because of their family situation, because of any other commitments. And I feel like I'm very sensitive to this particularly right now, like sensitive to this issue, partly because, so the founder of Precision Nutrition, which is a very well-known nutrition company that does trainings, they work with individual clients, they, they train coaches. Uh, the, the founder started a podcast and has a couple very, very well-edited, well-researched podcast episodes. And one of them is talking about a very well-known sleep book called Why We Sleep by, by Matthew Walker. And that there were a few things that were sort of debunked um, in the book as far as like the, the actual data that was presented. And one of the, the things that came up in one of these podcasts was about people that aren't actually able to get this amount of sleep that is recommended, like then that, like knowing that I can't reach that amount of sleep can be really, it can be really triggering and it can, can cause anxiety. It can cause stress thinking like, oh my gosh, I know I need to get seven to nine hours and I can't get 79 hours, seven to nine hours. And so then anxiety starts to creep into their regular sleep cycle. And so we definitely want to talk about like, there are extenuating circumstances. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, on the topic of that podcast and the book, you know, I read I read a long time ago the article that was released about that book. I personally, I still think the book is a really good resource, and I think that there's a lot of great stuff in there. I do think that it's quite easy to pick apart anything using scientific studies because, oh yeah, as we all know, like no scientific study is is perfect. Yeah, I think that I think that it is it can be read in quite a fear-mongering way if you're going into it kind of looking for that and such as pop science such as a pop science book but if you're reading it in the context of like I'm interested in learning more about sleep but this isn't a gospel you'll you can get some good stuff from there so I I just caution people not to be afraid of or still taking still reading a good resource um because someone's trashed it like that you know that's how things are in that world but on the subject of the pe- of people who can't get seven plus hours a night. So first of all, I always ask people to truly ask themselves, like, is that true? Like, can you actually not get seven hours of sleep a night or are your priorities just not in the right place? And I say this from a perspective of like, let's say you work 12 hour days and therefore you're like, I work 12 hour days. I still need to fit in a workout, still need to fit in time for myself and I need to fit in sleep. Therefore I can't get enough I can't get seven hours of sleep a night. It might be us looking at, at, hey, is that time for yourself that you're using actually being used in an optimal way? Or is it lying on the couch watching five hours of Netflix when actually what might even be more recharging for you is watching one or two hours of Netflix, one hour of like a hobby that you actually enjoy, like reading or painting or music or whatever, and then going to sleep earlier? Like, would that be more rewarding and therefore allow you to get more sleep? And like, are your workouts like, two hour cycle right in the morning when maybe an adjustment to that with a different form of workout might work better. There's a lot of, there's a lot of nuance to that stuff, but like just looking at first, could I rearrange any of my time or reassess how I'm using some of my time in order to give me some extra sleep? And sometimes the answer is no, and that's fine. And we'll go into that in a moment, but I always like, just like to start with that to make sure people don't go, oh, because there's a way around, quote unquote, a way around it. I don't need to try and get seven hours of sleep with those people that are that actually can't get around that like parents and shift workers and stuff like that 
um, then putting an emphasis on quality is important. And I also want to, so I know that you're going to talk about this, Holly, but with this, I also want to um, ask about um, like chronotypes. So people that are, you know, they're just not morning people and they operate better in the evening. But then there is stuff out there that's saying like, okay, the hours that you get between like 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. are like the most important hours. And so where do we, how do we differentiate this? And I think that that, that idea of like quality kind of comes into this as well, right? Yeah. I mean, that, there's an unfortunate thing when it comes to chronotypes that, yeah, it's it's totally true. Like some people will be much more early risers. Some people will be much later. Like that's natural. Unfortunately for most people, the way society is set up is for a nine to five job or something similar. And so you have a limited amount of flexibility in how, like how in tune with your chronotype you can live if that is your work structure. So like if you've chosen to work in a nine to five job or a job that requires you to be at work at specific hours, you're somewhat beholden to that rather than purely to your biology, even though it'd be way cooler if we could just all be beholden to our biology. With that, it's really about the hours. They say that sort of pre-midnight stuff. Often they're like, oh, every hour you sleep before midnight is worth two hours after midnight. Uh, like a lot of that also just comes down to, like you said, Olivia, your chronotype, but it is a, it can be a good thing to try because even for my husband, for example, he used to go to bed at like 2 a.m. and be like, this is just where my body feels best. This is oh. a constant source of discussion between oh. us. Um, but, uh, you know, he said, and he was like, oh, that's just where my body feels best. And I was like, does it? Because you have digestive issues all the time. You're always talking about how you don't sleep that well. Like, is this truly where you feel best? And when he's here, he goes to bed at like 10 or 11, like still after me, but earlier, his digestion's better. His sleep is better. Like, so sometimes there's a thing where we've like mentally like set ourselves into like, I'm a late person. Therefore, I'm going to move this later and later when actually you might function better a little earlier if you could it might be a personal preference rather than actually a biological preference so there's that too from this we go into we can talk about shift uh maybe parents first and then shift workers I don't know which way do you want to go Jillian I mean I guess both of them are pretty common um and so I guess parents is an easier easier segue into first because you'll still be able to go like at least with parents you tend to have quite a good routine in the evening, at least at the beginning of the evening, because you are putting your kids to bed and there's a routine to that. Exactly. And and I think that this, what comes up a lot with parents is not necessarily the getting to bed. It's the multiple wake-ups throughout the night. And, and then a coupled with that, it's often this feeling of like, well, the only time I have to really relax is when my child has gone to bed. Cause that tends to be sort of like that safe moment where it's like, I've put my kid to bed. I know I at least have like a little bit of time that like, they're not going to wake up. And often that's and the so, couple time. Like, time yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's the time that you sort of have to like unwind at the end of the day, spend time with your significant other, or it's the time when you're like doing all of the things that you didn't necessarily have time to do when your child was awake. And so that's where we want to look at like, what are the activities that you're participating in during that time? And are they conducive to sort of, as we talked about before, sort of landing that plane. And so if you notice, for example, that you are putting your your kid to sleep, um, and then that's when you and your significant other start 
cleaning the kitchen and doing all of your chores that are sort of like very active things like that may not necessarily be sort of the best way to go. And then coupled with that is what we see a lot of the time is, is people like that's the time when the couple sit down or individuals, if you're a single parent, sit down and sort of and watch TV or scroll on Instagram um, or do those sort of like technological type related activities that they didn't have time to do during the day. And then it comes down to like, okay, then you need to kind of adult yourself to get yourself to turn off the TV, turn off the phone and get into bed. And so it, it could be helpful to kind of look at what is that time after I put my kids to bed? And when I try to get into bed myself, what does that time look like? How long is that time? And what activities am I doing during that time? Yeah, I love the idea of doing less active activities if possible. Um, that's a great idea but also we're not saying like you can't sit down and chat and watch a movie with your significant other after the kids have gone to bed it just might be that you compared to someone without kids who has a lot of freedom might have to be a little stricter about your sleep hygiene around those kind of things like maybe for you guys can be really great if you can wear blue light blocking glasses whilst you're doing that or like make sure that besides the tv you do have all the other lights in the room lower um, like, like just optimizing that experience so you can still do things you enjoy with it being just like a little bit less impactful. That's still cool. And then, you know, making sure that the things we talked about last week are all in place and making sure that your sleep environment is really good. Like make sure it is cool. It is dark, that you have a great bed and like it's as comfortable as possible. Um, potentially having earplugs. I mean, this depends on whether you have like a baby or whether you have kids who are just like shuffling around in the night, potentially having earplugs, if that's not a big deal for you or having a mask so that if like a kid comes in and turns on the light, it's not such a big deal. And then having night, like if you have kids, have night lights. Because if you have to get up and take your kid to the bathroom in the night and you have night lights, it's going to impact both your and their sleep much less than having to turn on a bathroom light or turn on a hallway light. So yeah, those are things I often recommend. And moving the TV and the and the computer out of the out of your bedroom is really, oh, really sure. helpful. Like if you're getting in bed and then watching Netflix or like scrolling on your phone, that is going to interrupt your sleep. So if you can just move that stuff out of the bedroom, that can be really, really helpful. I love all of those things that you were saying, Holly, for parents, those little things that could make a really big difference. That's not like, life-changing things where you have to it doesn't take up extra time when you're already short on time exactly or it's like more because I think that the I mean the main thing with parents is that plates are so full and so it's like okay if I have to have this like super strict like sleep structure or something it feels like more stress right on a lot of stress already and so just what I was going to add to that is that in that time of life if you're finding that your your sleep is really not good and it is a struggle to actually get enough and stuff like that I, that's where I do think that acceptance comes into it and it's like knowing that this is just a phase this is a season of your life you know that you do have children there are going to be things that are going to be really tough and you know your friends that don't have children they might be a little bit more energetic and so really practicing acceptance and, and compassion but also looking at where can you let things go like where can you take things off your plate. Um, where can you delegate things like ask for help more, be okay with not cleaning up the lounge room or be okay with like not folding the laundry that night or something like that. Like I think that that, that stuff acceptance and letting go comes into that as well with like busy, busy mums and dads too. Yeah, totally. And I also, 
I had a question from someone the other day about naps because she was someone who had a new baby. And I was like, yeah, obviously your sleep quality is being very different when you have a baby. Like that, that is, again, that acceptance piece is really important there. But in that kind of situation, naps might be really helpful if you have that uh, available to you as an option during the day. And ideally it's not something we're reliant on. Like you shouldn't, if you're, if you don't have a new baby, you shouldn't be reliant on naps to get through the day, but like they can be a good way to at least top up your rest during the day. Or even, even if you can't fall, cause like I, for example, would struggle to fall asleep during the day, even if I was very tired, but even like non-sleep deep rest periods can, can also have a quite a good recharging effect. If you are doing naps, Ideally, we don't really want to do them after 3 p.m. And the reason for that is basically adenosine, which is the hormone that builds up in our brain that kind of triggers our sleep pressure. So it's the thing that like builds up and up and up until we get to sleep and then we go to sleep and then it reduces. Um, If we nap like too close to sleep, so for most people after sort of 3, 4 p.m., that sleep pressure is reduced and it's going to be harder for us to fall asleep at night. So that's a good thing to take into context. And like length of naps is quite personal. Um, but if you can get like a 90 minute, like one sleep cycle nap, that would be like the dream. A cool thing that you can also think about is like how in the evening, how can I sort of reduce the in the like activity impact of the things that I'm doing. So for example, even if you are folding laundry, like maybe you're folding laundry, listening to like relaxing music with the lights down low. And instead of like standing up and being at, you're like sitting down. And so it's like, not necessarily being like, oh my gosh, I can't do these things. Like I need to put all these rules in place, but it's like, how can you like take the things down a notch so that you are landing that plane and like bringing yourself, bringing the energy down so that, you know, maybe you do fold the laundry and you're super calm about it. And you've got like, you know, the, the temperature in the room is coming down and it's, it's dark and then you get into bed. So yeah, I think that that could be interesting. And, and do we want to shift over to shift workers? Because that is a whole nother beast. To- yeah, shift work is different. Shift work's really different. And although it's different in terms of a lifestyle, many of the same things apply. But if you're a shift worker, you're going to want to be a lot more stringent with how you do some of these things than a regular person because of the different lifestyle that you've chosen. And so for example, like sleep hygiene for a shift worker is going to be extremely important. And a sleep, a bedtime routine for a shift worker is going to be really important because you need something that you can repeat no matter the time you're going to bed, especially if your shift times change. Like if you're medical or police or emergency response, often you'll be on different shifts at different weeks. And so you need a routine that can always trigger your brain to go, oh, like bedtime. And so you need to be really consistent with your routine and you need blackout curtains in your room, like, like, or a really good sleep mask, but preferably both. And that blocking out the light for you is going to be especially important in order to get the quality of sleep that you want. And your sleep environment is going to be really important. And then for shift workers, they are someone for whom I might actually promote using melatonin. Um, if you're shifting the times of which you're working, if it's every week, okay, cool. Like, let's look at how much we're using so that we're not like overusing it, but also you're, you're living a different lifestyle to how your body's hormones would naturally regulate. So it just might require us using some slightly less natural means to regulate that. But melatonin and magnesium 
maybe as part of your bedtime routine, but not sleeping pills. And we can talk about sleeping pills in a little bit, but yeah. And then that would be my, you know, I usually look at that with my shift workers and then the timing of their last meal before they get home and go to bed. Yeah. And I think also something to keep, to keep in mind is that if, if you can keep the times that you sleep similar, that is really helpful. And that, and I know for some people, they really struggle with that because it's like on their days off, you want to kind of have like a normal life. But the reality is, is that if you can, I'm not saying the same, but keep your sleep times similar, then that can be helpful for regulating your sleep. And then a big, a big one to to keep in mind as well is also what's happening in between when you get off work and when you get home and go to bed. Because I think that something that people forget is like, if you're stepping out of work at seven o'clock in the morning and it's super bright light outside and that light hits your eyes and activates your brain and your circadian rhythm is like triggered to stay awake, it's going to be harder to fall asleep. So something that I like to recommend, um, um, is to wear, they have amber glasses that like, yeah, they look a little bit silly, but they're super, super useful or even just sunglasses and putting those on even before you actually leave, you know, the artificial light of wherever you are putting those glasses on, whether they're the amber glasses or whether they're just regular sunglasses and then not taking them off until you get back inside can actually really help you to not like all of a sudden wake yourself up and then try to like bring yourself, you know, land the plane and bring yourself back into to sleep. And then as far as Holly, you mentioned talking about like meal timing around, around your shift. And so what would be your recommendation for people to how to manage that like last meal to, to promote sleep? And I think we can talk about that last meal to promote sleep and shift workers, but also just really briefly touch on that last meal for really anyone. We touched on this in the last podcast as well, which is that basically we just don't want to be having a super heavy meal really close to bed. And the idea would be like not within the sort of two hours or so before you sleep. Um, That might not be possible for everyone, in which case we just want to put it as far forward away from your sleep as you're able to. Um, But for a lot of shift workers, yeah, for example, if it is someone who's getting off at 7 a.m., for you to like drive home eat breakfast and then try and immediately go to bed, you're going to be just be making things harder for yourself. So ideally trying to have either something before you leave work or like for some of my shift workers were like, Hey, let's go home and have something small, like a smoothie that's really easy for your body to digest so that you're not like going to bed starving, but you're not, you're also not like waking up your digestive system and keeping yourself up for longer. Yeah, I think that's super, super helpful. And from from there, like there are a lot, there is a lot of nuance when it comes to shift work because everybody's shifts are a little bit different. Um, There's definitely different physical demands that can change kind of what that sleep looks like. The fact of the matter is, is that, Yes, it is like shift work is going to mess with your circadian rhythms. You may feel that it messes with your hunger levels as well, but that is a little bit dysregulated. Specifically, like if you are a shift worker working with a coach or looking to work with a coach, whether it's on sleep, nutrition, whatever it is, it is really important for that coach to understand like the impacts of shift work because your nutrition, your sleep, your training is not necessarily going to be exactly the same as it would be for someone that, you know, sleeps a regular evening schedule. And we want to shift into to something that we we briefly touched on because it was a part of both Olivia and Holly's life um, for a little while, like um, bouts of insomnia and understanding kind of 
what that's caused by and then looking at the ways that it can be solved because i think in normal nor quote unquote normal medicine a lot of the time it's just like we just throw pills at a at a situation and whereas like that can be a short-term solution we at the be well cartel are all about like long-term sustainable solutions so we want to talk a little bit about that too yeah and i'll go quickly into some of the potential causes of insomnia and sometimes it's a combination of these things by the way and it's often a combination of some of these things um but like the the most extreme forms of insomnia would be basically like medical like related to changes in your brain and that would be things like narcolepsy where there's a certain area of the hypothalamus that's literally some of the uh, some of the things that absorb and create the neurotransmitters there have been damaged um and so like that is not necessarily reversible but it is still manageable by the help the treatments that we'll discuss um but yeah so so narcolepsy is one thing that can cause like a lot of sleep disturbance a lot of people think of narcolepsy as like the narcolepsy where it's cataplexic where it's people are like sitting up and then all of a sudden they like like collapse and have no control of their bodies there's another version of narcolepsy that is more common which is basically just that when you fall asleep you go straight into REM sleep um, and therefore you wake up very frequently for reasons that we mentioned on the previous podcast and if that's the case your sleep is is much more disturbed and then during the day you're very tired so that's one thing that can happen and neurotransmitter balances in general can be the root cause of a lot of insomnia and Olivia and I talked about like low progesterone and how that affected our own battles with insomnia. And one of the reasons for that is because of the, uh, the what what progesterone helps interact with in the brain, which is a neurotransmitter that helps you calm down and sleep. HPA axis issues in general can be an issue. So we've we've mentioned cortisol a lot over these couple of podcasts, but yes, yeah, stress hormones being high in general uh, basically blocks the receptors that will interact with the things that help you fall asleep. And then, you know, there's, there's more tangible causes that you can um, act on straight away, which would be things like your sleep hygiene, not being that good, not having a, a sleep routine, light exposure, as we already discussed, um, being overly mentally stimulated, close to sleep, and then things that ele elevate your body temperature, like big meals or workouts. And then, yeah, that, that stress piece, you can't really, you can't really overestimate the stress piece. A lot of this is always going to relate to stress management because that can lead to um, a lot of these uh, neurotransmitter things being escalated. Um, and I also just wanted to mention in there that extreme calorie deficits uh, can also lead to this stuff because it, it leads to that HPA axis dysfunction that we see pretty often. So with people that have been chronic dieting, I often see um, insomnia kind of come along with that. Yeah, that's where carbohydrates can be really helpful for women um, in the evening uh, to help with the onset of sleep. And with that as well, um, I think that kind of carrying on from what you're talking about here, like the causes of poor sleep, um, I think that it's important to touch on alcohol is where a lot of people can rely on and al alcohol, like having a drink to help them fall asleep and really believing I think this goes back to what you're saying, like, is it true that you can't get seven and a half hours of sleep, uh, seven plus hours of sleep? Or um, is it true that alcohol actually helps you go to sleep? I know that I've heard this so many times before, um, and it's something that I've really had to unpack with people. 
Um, and also with that is um, the, corti the cortisol response, with which kind of goes like with dieting, being underfed, um, stress management and stuff, and waking up to pee in the night, which mo so many people do. Oh my God. And that was me for ages. I would wake up multiple times too, the night man. to pee. And just thought it was normal, Me too. you know, I just thought it was normal, which, yeah, that is guys are a big sign of, you know, potential cortisol being elevated. Yeah. You know, on, on that subject of like alcohol and also uh, marijuana. So like, um, I think a lot of people use both of those to help with sleep. They do both help you fall asleep. Like that part is true. Like, and that's why there's a misunderstanding of whether or not it's actually helpful for sleep. The problem with both of those is that the quality of the sleep you're getting after you fall asleep is significantly worse. Part of that is due to like with alcohol, like temperature elevation. Um, but a lot of it's also just because you, you don't get into the same deep sleep and THC is quite triggering for REM sleep again. So we get a similar thing of like waking up um, in the night. I think a lot of people know with alcohol, they tend to wake up very early. They fall asleep well, but wake up very early and then can't get back to sleep. So yeah. And just to differentiate, you know, if you're using CBD to help with sleep, that's very different to, to like a CBD THC combination. So if you are someone who likes to do that, I would see if you can shift over at least to a higher ratio of cbd to thc or a full cbd just with on like alcohol and using cbd and stuff like that or marijuana or whatever i think that goes back to that conversation of like where where are you putting a band-aid on things and actually not looking at yeah. what you can actually do yourself and doing the hard work um which comes with sleep i think that Again, it's that thing of like like going to sleeping pills or being like, okay, cool, like melatonin or whatever. And it's like, okay, have you really tried like the variables that you could could do on your own? This is an interesting one because I've worked with clients that have come off of like drinking really regularly, like almost every day. And definitely if you are currently drinking, like even if it's just like a glass of wine or two every night or smoking weed, like. Uh, you know, sorry, using marijuana. I'm from California. You can say, say smoking smoke. weed. We say Let's smoking weed, man. Like smoking I felt, weed. I felt weird saying marijuana. Yeah, using marijuana. Um, <laughs> but like if you are in that pattern and that's something that has been really normal for you, if you stop doing it, it is very normal for you to struggle to sleep for a bit afterwards. And so I think- Yeah, you'll get a rebound. Where, yeah, and so I think that totally. that's where it can feel- uncomfortable because you're like, well, of course it's helping me sleep. Cause the second that I stop doing it, I can't sleep as well. Yeah. And it's like, like anything, our bodies need to kind of adjust. And so giving yourself that time to reset, um, is really, really, really helpful. Cause especially, um, people that do tend to be regular alcohol drinkers, like, especially, you know, the couple of glasses of wine every night, which I don't think is all that uncommon. If you stop doing that and you've been doing it for a while, you will maybe have up to a couple of weeks in which your sleep is disrupted. But we also want to look at like, Hey, if you're drinking because it's helping you forget about other things in your life that are stressing you out. And then all of a sudden you don't have the alcohol. And so the, 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 the thoughts or the feelings that you are covering up with the alcohol are all of a sudden there, then it needs to be a two-pronged approach. It's not just stopping drinking and then hoping that you fall asleep. It's looking at that stress management piece of like, am I expressing my emotions? Are there boundaries that I'm not creating? If you uh, want to know more about boundaries um, and understanding that stuff, go back to episode eight. That is an absolutely mind-blowing episode. If I may toot our own horns, it's a really good episode. Toot, toot away. 
Yeah, it's a really, I mean, and, and it's, you know, I, it's a good episode. I'll just leave it at that. Go back and listen to that because you, you know, that stuff all plays into the stress management piece, which often we tend to sort of like uh, farm out to things like weed or, uh, or alcohol. And the stress management piece should be your, your first go-to when you're trying to work on insomnia problems. And it's something that I personally avoided for a very long time. I tried to do all the things around it. I tried all the sleep supplements and I tried all like the rules um, and I didn't address the stress management piece. And it wasn't until I actually addressed that, that my sleep started to turn around. So I can't, I can't emphasize that enough on the topic of, you know, that rebound and having that period where you might sleep worse. I think it's, I think it's really important. You mentioned that. And it's really important that people expect that. I wanted to go from that just into mentioning sleeping pills, because I think that that is something, especially in America, that's quite easily available. When I was in China, you could buy them over the counter, which was crazy. They're something that I really only recommend for people who have such chronic insomnia that they are sleeping so little that they can't function during the day. And even then we should be using it as a temporary intervention to get you back on a schedule and then hopefully transitioning you off into something like melatonin for a while and then seeing if we can completely work out of it. But it has to be done addressing the stress management stuff in the background because if we don't remove some of the stressors, it just won't change. Or getting you to a sleep clinic and working out if you actually do have a neurotransmitter imbalance that we need to address. But sleeping pills, otherwise, there's a difference between being unconscious and being asleep. Like if you have a surgery, you don't wake up going, hmm, feel so well rested. Like sleeping pills are not putting you to sleep. They are knocking you out. It's like this, you know, it's like someone came up and and like smacked you around the head with a baseball bat, but you don't have a bruise. So unless you really need to use sleeping pills, I would would try to stay as far away from them as possible. And this is from someone who used them as a fix for my insomnia in that course of avoiding stress management and the rebound from those when I stopped was awful and I would not wish that on anyone I can vouch for that as well Holly like because I for many years was using sleeping pills and then I was like coffee sleeping pills coffee sleeping pills coffee and then just coming off that was just so hard just back on the alcohol thing I wanted to say before as well that Um, that's not fear mongering right it's like it's not like you shouldn't drink wine because it's a part of like social life like everything it's delicious but something to keep in mind is how that metabolizes in your body so you could have it like and then go to bed like four hours later so that's what they usually say is like four hours for that to get out of your system and so if you're going to bed at like nine o'clock reverse engineer from there um and so that could be something that you could consider and if you are using alcohol or if you do tend to, if you do have that habit of having a wine every night is be like, play around with these things and just see, like, just see if it does make a difference. Totally. And even just knowing that this is something we talk about often, right? Like knowing that alcohol affects your sleep in that way doesn't mean you can't also sometimes choose to still drink close to bed. Like you can still, that's still a decision that's available to you. You can make the decision knowing that that night your sleep quality won't be as good. And like, that's okay. Um, as long as it's not a pattern that you're constantly falling into, because now we know it's not intentional. It's just a habit. And what are we covering up with that habit? 
That is um, exactly, yeah. exactly what you just said there is so, so, so important. And it's like, we want to be making conscious choices about these things, not just falling into the habit of, oh, the bottle of wine is right there. I'm going to pick it up or, oh, like the pipe with weed in it is right there. So I'm just going to pick it up. And that that is where the change starts to happen when you start to make conscious decisions rather than just falling into old habits that may or may not be serving you. And from there, do we do we want to head into the menstrual cycle? For sure. And this was on my mind because for me is like the week before my cycle. And I always sleep worse the week before my cycle. And I think this is something that's common for quite a lot of women, but they might not realize unless they're tracking. And we, we (laughs) emphasize this so much, but if you're not tracking your cycle, um, I strongly recommend it so that you can start to see these patterns. And even for my clients who have like actual sleep disorders, we've found that lifestyle factors can fix a lot of the stuff in the first two to three weeks of their cycle. And then the fourth week of their cycle, they might see some sleep disruption still. And at first for them, that was very scary. They were like, oh, I thought my sleep had improved so much. And now it's fallen apart again. And then we noticed that there was a pattern that it was like every fourth week of their cycle um, that that would happen. And that was a lot less scary. And the reason that that last week of your cycle can tend to have more disrupted sleep, one of the main factors is that your body temperature increases um, after ovulation by up to half a degree. And although that sounds quite small for your core body temperature, that's a big difference actually. Um, and that can really affect how easy it is for your body to wake up. Is that Fahrenheit or Celsius? That's Celsius. I have, I could not I'm translate that into Fahrenheit. The reason, the reason I just say that is because we <laughs> do have a up. lot of US listeners and, and Celsius in the US is like, people don't have any idea what that yes, is. It's 32.9. <laughs> No, wait, this is this is the temperature. While Holly's looking at that. Two, um, two, two degrees. Two. Okay. Yeah. So from like Around. 98.6 to 100.6 is like the range. If, if I've translated it correctly, which is probably, um, I think it's just, but yes, it, uh, America doesn't use the right system of measurement. It's confusing. Um, so also just on that with the changes in the menstrual cycle is that We know as well that in that heightened phase when um, we are in the high hormone phase that there is a lot of extra fatigue like on the CNS system and stuff like that and anxiety can often be a little bit higher. Um, Our ability to actually manage stress, um, like general recovery and so um, I mean, I know for me that my like anxiety is really, really heightened in that week before. Um, and so that really contributes to my sleep as well. And so again, when we're talking about menstrual cycle and how that impacts our life as individuals, we, we can know the changes that are happening in our physiology. And then we can look at how that potentially is um, contributing to our life as an individual as well. So we can't say that, this is what happens in your luteal phase with sleep, but it's just like, this is what happens with your physiology, whether or not that um, affects you or not is up to you to be aware of and notice. But I do think that that, like the mental aspect of that is really important just with that, um, with progesterone being higher um, and our uh, fatigue being heightened and central nervous system and ability to manage stress and anxiety. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention really quickly that if you're on the pill, these things won't apply to you because you're not ovulating. So you don't, you won't get the same shift in hormones. But if you're on the IUD, you may still ovulate. And so you might get that. And if you're not on birth control, then 
and you don't have hypothalamic amenorrhea, which if you want to know about, if you've got missing periods, go back and listen to our episode on that or reach out to us. We have um, a lot of experience in that area. Um, but otherwise, if you're ovulating normally, like these are things that could apply to you. And Olivia, just before we wrap up, maybe we can wrap up on this on this um, topic. But I think that the topic of sleep and uh, peri and postmenopause is really important because those hormonal shifts um, are so different and so much bigger than what we would tend to see just for us in our like in a regular monthly cycle. And a lot of women heading into perimenopause do start to have sleep disturbances. Yeah. So with like a, those of us who are in our reproductive years, we do just have that shift in like one phase of the cycle, but like perimenopause and going into menopause, those shifts are happening like all the time, like perturbations of hormones. And so it's really hard to manage. And so that's where truly dialing in um, sleep hygiene is just even more important um, at this stage of life. The, The most important thing I think is really paying attention to sleep hygiene and like doing as much as you can. So all of these things that we've been talking about, um, the little things that you could do, you know, making sure your room is like cool and dark and, you know, all of these kind of things, which can be really hard if you have a partner, if you're married um, and stuff like that. Oh, I'll Uh, just hop in there really quick because if you have a partner and it's annoying because they're really hot. If you have the financial ability, there's a device called the chili pad, which I don't know if you guys have looked at before. But you yes. can, it's a device that goes on top of your mattress and you can get ones that are divided into two halves and there's water running through it and you can control the temperature of the mattress. And so the one where it has two halves, you can set your half of the bed to a different temperature than your partner, which if you like to sleep cooler and, and if you're perimenopausal and you also might have hot flashes during the night, you can set yours to be way cooler than your partner's side of the bed. And that can be helpful to reduce at least the temperature of your side a little bit. Sorry for interrupting. And there's a lot of lifestyle things that come into um, this as well and your ability to manage sleep. Because as we know, we're humans and we are, you know, everything is connected. And so um, making sure you're not dipping into like low energy availability, um, you know, having carbohydrates at nighttime could be helpful. And also like hormone therapy as well. And there's a lot of stuff around that where people are really, really um, anti-hormone therapy and some people are totally for it. And so that is up to you as an individual to go and do the research. And if you are are reading something or listening to a podcast or something like that that is saying that it is like good, make sure that you go and seek out something that is maybe saying the opposite so that you can develop your own opinion on this. Many of my clients are in this stage of life and they are experimenting with um, HRT and for their sleep, that has been one of the biggest things. Also, just in this phase of life, particularly, and this kind of goes with um, women who are in their reproductive years, um, who may be under eating chronically, um, under recovered or something like that, is also your thyroid and that can um, contribute to this as well. So but particularly for women peri, perimenopause and postmenopause, um, checking your thyroid as well um, is going to be really helpful. We want to just make it clear that like all of this stuff 
doesn't mean that you also forget about the things like a sleep routine and managing stress and all of that. Because I think that it can be really easy to say like, oh, well, it's my hormones. Because I think we touched, I think we touched on this last week where it's like, we want to point our fingers always at like hormones, but we also want to understand that a lot of the way that our hormones are expressed have to do with our lifestyle choices. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that like, you know, avoid all hormone replacement therapy because that's unnatural and we should be taking care of ourselves naturally. But it's like, these things are nuanced and intertwined. And so I think it's one of those, like we want to be really aware of, are my, you know, do I have good sleep hygiene? Cool. Am am I managing my stress? Am I, uh, you know, setting boundaries with the people around me or with myself? And am I doing these things and I'm still struggling? Cool. Then maybe in addition to taking care of the basics, like hormone replacement therapy, or looking at, um, you know, we we haven't touched a ton on supplements. We've kind of mentioned one them here and there, but magnesium, uh, you mentioned earlier, Holly can be really, really helpful for helping relax and and getting to especially um, magnesium bisglycinate or magnesium threonate. Yeah. Um, and, and- what, what you'll find if you get like the cheap magnesium supplements is it will often be citrate and that won't be very helpful with, with your sleep. Exactly. And then another, um, another one that, you know, similar to the chili pad, if you have the, the fun, the financial means to get this, I don't actually know how expensive they are, but weighted blankets, especially if you are someone that tends to feel a bit more anxious, weighted blankets can really help with that feeling of anxiety. If you do, if that is something that you struggle with around sleep, whether you're in perimenopause or menopause, or if you're just someone that tends to be a bit anxious and struggle with sleep, um, a weighted blanket could be potentially a really good option. Uh, I love that. I actually have a couple of clients that use weighted blankets. I've been looking into it as well. They look They're amazing. Just- there is a freaking game. Like I am not an anxious it's sleeper. It's like a constant hug. Yeah. yeah without but- the heat of a human. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's Oh, it's- oh my God. I just got so excited. A constant you should buy one. Without the heat of a human. That sounds like my dream. It's amazing. It's- They're incredible. They're incredible. It's uh, my brother. Any uh, now- weighted blanket? companies want to use that as their slogan yeah yeah totally Um, I just did want to say just on just to wrap that up with the those changes of um life for women um is all of those things that we have mentioned and and really what would what Jillian was saying there as well is that um in this phase of life like life can be extremely stressful like if you do have children if you are drinking wine to maybe manage a little bit and maybe that's your like downtime in the evening um if your to-do list is really really full you know all of these kind of things are all going to contribute to your sleep and how you sleep especially in this phase of life is going to contribute to how you manage all of those things and so sleep really is going to be a foundational thing and so doing what you can so that you can handle like all the stress that is going on in your life is just it's so so crucial and it is like what we said at the beginning it's the easiest thing to let slide because you have so many things going on but I think that some of this comes back to where you can and I know that people are busy, but it does come back to where you can, like how you value yourself and your worthiness and what you deserve and how you deserve to feel. Um, I do think that that is something that that is there that needs to be kind of like tapped into a little bit, that you are worthy of feeling well. Um, and this is one of the things that you can do for yourself. 
Yeah, I think that that is a really good place to end this second portion of our sleep discussion. The crazy thing is like, we could keep going on this for a while. Like (laughs) sleep is a big one. And if you think about it, I mean, this is something that people throw out all the time is like, you spend like a third of your life sleeping about a third of your life sleeping. And so it's like, we don't like, why don't we put so much thought into it? Also why I always tell people to like invest in the stuff on your bed in your bedroom. Like you, like, like people are like, oh, my mattress isn't that good, but whatever. And I'm like, why would you spend so much money on your TV, but not that much money on your mattress? I'm literally going to go buy a new mattress. I, probably today when we hang up, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave my dog at home because she is not helpful in buying mattresses. <laughs> and I, this is, this is the thing I love about Barcelona is you can take your dog anywhere. And so like, you can take your dog into a mattress store. Whereas like in the United States, they would be like, what is wrong with you? No. I love the idea of Ona just bouncing around on bed. Yeah, she loves jumping on that stuff. And people are like, you can't, like she can come in, she can't, anyways. So I'm going to go buy a bed because you are totally right. And I deserve to have a more comfortable bed. So just to kind of recap a little bit, all the things that we talked about in this, in this seg, the second section of the sleep podcast, of the sleep discussion, um, we talked about kind of this concept of, of, of people that believe that they don't need as much sleep, um, how likely that is, and kind of some ways to know if that is you or not. So that can be really interesting to kind of dig into and be really honest with yourself. And then, you know, we talked a little bit about what happens when you actually can't get the amount of sleep that is quote unquote recommended um, and gave some tips for parents, some tips for shift workers. Then we went into insomnia. We went into some hormone stuff. We went into um, sleep around your cycle and then also things around menopause, whether it's perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. So this has been over the course of the last, like it ended up being like two and a half hours of sleep content. There is going to be a lot of cool information for you to dig into. And I think if we can leave you with anything, it's that you don't need to be perfect, but start taking steps towards improvement. Because I think that, um, especially with a lot of people that are very like all or nothing mentality, which is so many of us, right? We feel like, oh my gosh, I can't do all of these things. Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, just pick one thing. Pick one thing out of the multitudes that we said, and honestly, pick the thing that seems the easiest to you. If you hear something, you're like, oh, that doesn't sound that hard. Do that. And then be consistent with that. And you guys can't see this right now, but both Holly and Olivia are like, yeah. And it's because that's honestly like the way that we coach and also what we truly believe, like as this collective of the Be Well cartel is like, you don't need to make it as difficult as possible on yourself. So as always, we would love if you like this episode or any of the other episodes that we've provided you with, please share with your community, anyone in your life that maybe is struggling with sleep or any of the other things that we talked about. We have an awesome sort of sort of two-part series coming up next on the cost of getting lean. And then we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about weight gain as well. So those are going to be awesome resources for you. And yeah, any last words, you guys, before we wrap up? I love all of our words today. I love your words to wrap that up, Jillian. Good job wrapping that up because I was like, how is she going to summarize everything we just did? And you did it beautifully. Well, I think you always do such a good job. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are amazing. This was, you guys are just such wealth, like a wealth of information. And I feel so honored to get to participate in sharing this information with both of you. You can't see this right now. Holly and Olivia are both holding, well, Olivia's holding up a heart. This is Korean hearts. This is Korean hearts. And Olivia is holding up a Okay. Yeah, because it's a heart shape. See, like a heart. Oh, okay. Heart. You guys yeah. are going to have to post a picture of that on our Be Well Cartel Instagram so people know what you're talking about. 
Anyways, we are going to end it there. You guys have an amazing rest of your week and tune back in next week because we have a really, really good episode for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Make sure to hit follow on the podcast app of your choice, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is a small effort with a big reward and the best way for other like-minded individuals to find the Be Well Cartel. To learn more about the Be Well Cartel community, stay up to date with us on Instagram at Be Well Cartel and see you again next week. We love feedback, so if you have anything to share with us, please reach out via Instagram to let us know what we are doing well, what we can improve on, and how we can support you.